Welcome to the Music Business Podcast. Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends, tactics, and insights from some of the world's brightest minds in music. I'm Jordan Williams of EQT Management. And I'm Sam Heisel from Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome back to the Music Business Podcast. Jordan can't keep his shit together right now, but we're really excited for the guest that we have today. Uh, you want to tell us a, a, a quick second about who he is? And yeah, I'll dive man. In? Sid is, he's a producer and a DJ. And as somebody who manages a producer and a DJ, I have a lot of respect for him and his game because he's been able to get to get a really a really uh, solid pedigree as a as a producer as a DJ. He's you know he was nominated for a Grammy this past year. He won a Grammy. Um, a couple years before that. So, yeah, I, I was definitely glad we could get him on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Sid started young. He literally started DJing when he was 12 years old. And then he saw that in order if he really wanted to, as a young 12-year-old, saw that if he had to take his career to the next level, he needed to start producing. No, but as he got he older... Well, as he got older, he decided to take that step into production so he could really like build up his brand and, and go to the places he's been going. And now he's touring internationally, very busy tour schedule. Um, and I think it's really excited in this episode that we get to dive deeper into the artist perspective. I think it's, uh, it's yeah. cool to get all of the kind of like the ancillary artist support people, sync agents, That's managers, right. all he's that the stuff. First artists that we're interviewing. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, just talking about how he goes about, re- uh, refining his craft paying attention to, to what's happening in the market, but not getting caught up and really staying true to his sound. Um, I thought it was awesome. I mean, even just to what he fig- sees as, as the perfect team, how he's grown, how his focus has shifted. I think if you're a manager, if you're an artist, um, whatever you're doing in music, I think this is a really valuable episode. Right. And specifically, if you're producer and DJ, I think people are wondering constantly, at least now in 2012, like, how do DJs get to where they are today? How do producers get to where they are today? Because it's sort of a part of the industry that you don't see on TV as much, right? So I'm super glad that he gets to dive a little bit deeper into that because people just don't know about it. So Totally. All right. Well, let's get into it. Sid, what's good, bro? What's going on? Chilling, man. How you been? Good. Really good. Um, So super excited to have you on the show today. Um, I know you have a lot of experience DJing, producing. It's been fun to, to see all the work you've been doing, night service only, dive into all of this today. Um, but for starters, I mean, we'd love to just hear your story. I mean, I think you started DJing like super, super young. Um, how did you gain the skills as a DJ and ultimately turn that into a career? Uh, I still think I'm a horrible DJ. So no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I started DJing. Um, my dad has a restaurant and catering hall in Queens in Bayside. And, uh, you know, every weekend when I was super young, I would, I would be at the restaurant and I really was fascinated with, uh, the DJ that they had, you know, it was private parties, but they always kind of booked the same guy. And, uh, he kind of showed me the really basics of DJing and that grew into just it being a hobby at first. Yeah. And from there, then I transitioned to say, Hey, you know, I started kind of buying vinyl and, and. I wasn't old enough to go to any clubs or anything, um, but I was noticing like the guys who were kind of the biggest were all making their own music. So mm-hmm. then that transitioned to me wanting to, you know, really dive into the production side of it. And, you know, that's basically my childhood was DJing and, and learned trying to teach myself how to, how to produce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And what's that journey been like in uh, kind of learning production and struggling to get the basics down in different like software platforms to being like a professional yeah. Grammy winning producer? I was going to say, how did you learn production back then? Because there, back then there wasn't like Pro Tools or Ableton or anything like that. So. When I when I started, I had an older brother. My oldest brother is the most musical and he's actually like in accounting, which is funny. <laughs> um, and he always had, you know, he had a keyboard, he had a drum machine, he had like you know, little like ways to record stuff. So whenever he wasn't home, I would kind of like mess with his shit. And um, <laughs> Classic brother. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think that's, that was like the fundamentals of it. And then obviously having two older brothers, I had a, access to a computer like pretty early on. Now it just seems ridiculous because everyone basically is born and has an iPad or whatever, but right. I'm not trying to date myself. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> so it just, I think we had, we had a PC and I think the first software I ever used was Reason. And at the time there wasn't like a ton of tutorials online. Like I'd have to go to, with my mom to Barnes and Noble and like find a magazine. And I remember like a big, like kind of one of those moments was I bought, I forget what magazine it was, but it was uh Robbie Rivera was on the cover and it was like a in the studio production thing. And he talks, he was talking about this thing called sidechain. And I was like, man, what is that? And that like, I was like, oh, wow, that makes sense how you can get all these things to kind of like fit together. And as soon as I discovered how to sidechain, all of a sudden kind of the music got, my music got better, I guess. Um, and I don't even know what the question was. What is sidechain? <laughs> so sidechain, <laughs> yeah. Sidechain is when you, um, so Obviously, in dance music, the kick drum is kind of the most important mm -hmm. part of the track. So it kind of, you're s ducking everything around the kick. Mm -hmm. So before, just like everything was just kind of like on top of each other. And it it was really was one of those moments. But kind of going back, it's like those moments were like not, or like discovering how to do this stuff wasn't as easily as it is today. Right. right. For sure. For sure. When... Just to dive a little bit deeper into production, I mean, obviously it's super nuanced and I'm sure you're constantly like growing and testing new things, but like, what do you feel like are some of the skills for aspiring producers um, that separates like the great producers from like good or mediocre ones? I think to be a great producer, you kind of have to, like, I think a lot of people are like left brain, right brain, right? You could be either have insanely creative ideas, but then it comes to the kind of the technical side of making it sound good and they you know they can't do that or it's the other side you see these guys who are just like insanely technical but they their ideas are not good so right it's fine like those people who can figure out how to channel both sides without losing like one or the other i think are you know the best producers right right that's awesome um when it comes to just your general like creative process i think how do you balance your own taste with what you know is like hidden in the market? Like what's trending, the different sounds and vibes that you're seeing work really well? Um, I think I chased at certain points in my career, I like chased a sound that I thought would be successful and I, and it never really kind of went anywhere. So I think in those moments, I kind of had one of these like weird, like not a like a downward moment but just be like why am I doing this like <laughs> I make music because I love making music let me just make stuff that I think is cool and I have fun making and those moments are the ones where I 
create the stuff that I think people respond to the best. Mm-hmm. So, was it after you like listened to one of your own songs? You were like, oh man, I don't, I don't even fuck with this. <laughs> was, or was it like the process no, was, was a little like bit? The stress of industry, like, oh okay, being like, not that anybody. I feel like I, you know, have a great team of people around me and and stuff, but just that pressure you put on yourself. And I'm like, why, like, why am I forcing this? I should make stuff I want to make, stuff that I would DJ. So those are the moments mm-hmm. that I think, you know, translated to kind of moving along for, for me mm-hmm. as an artist. Mm-hmm. Right. Totally. When it comes to DJing versus producing, like, I mean, I'm sure, you, or I'd assume you enjoy both, but like, what do you prefer more or is it really just the balance of the two? I really love both, man. I, I think it's, um, they really go hand in hand. And I think if you make your own music, there's no better feeling than playing it out and seeing people react to it. Because, right. you know, I make this myself. I'm in room in a room by myself. You know, I have my like little circle of people that I'll play stuff for. But I never really know how other people are going to react to it. So they really go hand in hand. If I'm like touring too much and I don't really have time to get in the studio, I feel I get like antsy. If I'm in the studio too much and like, I have a couple weeks where I'm not touring. I'm like, why? Why don't I? Have, why don't I have shows this weekend? Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. for me, it's I really love both, and it's it's like a a good balance. Yeah, that's awesome. How do they like influence each other? So you said earlier, like I don't want to produce something that I wouldn't DJ. How do they? Is it is it is it that explicit, or is there stuff like you know maybe I do want to produce, or like I'm gonna produce this record. I might not be in a DJM, but it sounds cool. Or like <laughs> there's stuff that I've put out that I don't play. I mean. But I've the further I go along, the f- more I realize that like you have to like hundred percent believe in the music you make, and part of that is like playing it in those moments in your set that like matter. I think so. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. Right? No, it does. It does. Um, also, just out of curiosity for me, I, I've mostly worked for solo acts Mm -hmm. so in terms of like the plight of the dj and how that um what that ascension looks like i'm wondering like what were some of your bigger breaks earlier in your career um as a dj specifically where like you dj a show and it was like oh this person heard me Mm -hmm. and wants to rep me or like how 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 does that break happen and how does it divert defer from like uh you know a main vocalist or something like that Um, and does it at all it might not at all you know i had like a weird I feel like my whole start was just like weird meeting per one person to like weird meeting with another person. And uh, <laughs> like I graduated school with a degree in accounting because my older brother said I should do accounting. <laughs> and I was already DJing uh, and I ran into this kid from high school and his dad was uh, Richie Kanata or is Richie Kanata. He plays or played sax for Billy Joel and he has a oh, really sick student damn. in Long Island. So he's like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I just graduated. I'm like, DJing and, and working on production. He's like, why don't you come by the studio? So I got an internship at that studio and I'll like break down just like a few things. But that point was like, I think uh, what like really put me on the path of getting better as like an engineer. And then from there, I got connected to this guy, Cedric Gervais, who was a DJ producer through other connections along the way. But um, that moment kind of took a little while but then started people even though my name wasn't on the records people knew 
that I was involved. And that mm-hmm. opened up a ton of doors. Right. And I'd say like the first, like he, he helped me as an artist, but I think it was when Cedric's manager at the time was managing this guy named Don Diablo. And me and Don just connected over Skype. He was in Amsterdam. He hadn't really broken in the U.S. yet. And we started doing records together. And we did this one song as a collab called Got Me Thinking. And it came out on Steve Angelo's, like he had like a sub-label called X. Mm-hmm. And at the time it was really different. Everyone was doing the EDM sound and it was like a kind of house record, but with big buildups. Um, and from that record, Steve Angelo followed me on Instagram. Tiesto followed me or on Twitter. Um, Tiesto followed me uh, and ev- like a lot of people were playing it. So that was like a really big moment because then I'm like, okay, now I have the attention of these guys. How do I capitalize capitalize on it? And I was like, I'm not going to just bombard them with bullshit music. I want to make sure I have the right record. And I think the first person that I sent something to was Steve Angelo after he had already signed that one. But, you know, he picked up a couple records. And then to go back to, I guess, your main question was, how did it transition to DJing? And it was Cascade. Um, he, at the time, I uh, I connected with this lawyer named Ed Shapiro. And I told him my story. And I we had kind of just, I was like, I, it was the day after the Grammys. Um, and I had one with the remix I did with Cedric Gervais of Alana Del Rey, Summertime Sadness. And I was like, you know, I kind of just won a Grammy, but I kind of didn't. I feel like <laughs> I need... Uh, I need some representation and he was super receptive right away. I fucking, I Googled his name, you know, nobody really introed me to him and he picked up the phone. <laughs> and the first thing he did was ask Cascade, Hey, have you heard of this guy, Sid? Mm. So that created that, um, that relationship. And at first it was like, just send me some music, blah, blah, blah. And then I kept sending him music. And then finally we did a record together and he's like, listen, like, I want to put you on let's do this song together. It's going to come out of my album. And then I ended up signing with his manager, Stephanie LaFera at the time. Um, and he took me on tour. It was an automatic tour. And uh, it was like a month. We did 26 shows in like four or five weeks. Wow. Yeah. It was like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, go home for like two days. Um, and he like, you know, I at the time there was a gap between meeting the lawyer and and meeting Cascade, but and the lawyer had introduced me to all these you know, managers and stuff. But this was the first real opportunity that I was like, this guy doesn't really do that too often, and I think it'll make a big impact. You know, and every show, whenever there was an after party, um, he, he like I would play, then he would play, then we'd go back to back. So his fans like really took a liking to me, my music, right. and that really grew my fan base quickly in the U.S. Um, and then from there, just played, started getting booked for a couple of festivals and, mm-hmm. and club shows and stuff. But that, I'd say, getting that cosign was the biggest impactful thing that happened. Right. So it seems like production sort of feeded into you being a DJ. 100%. I mean, the, without the music, it's so hard to get recognized as a DJ. Right. You know? mm-hmm. There's incredible DJs, you know, in each city, but to go from being like the best DJ in your city to like being booked 
internationally or whatever is really, really hard to do. Um, you know, an underground kind of they do, but they still release music, you know? So they definitely go hand in hand. Right. Dope. When you're, um, it's interesting too, cause you mentioned the lawyer and I feel like lawyers are very much like power brokers in the industry. They're very like the, uh, mo- some of the most underrated power brokers. Yeah, I was in about music. to say, people don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah people yeah, don't yeah. know. But, yeah. Lawyers be plugging people left and right. That's, my intern, I just told yeah. my intern the other day that lawyers do that. And he was like, whoa, whoa, what? Yeah. He I was mean, like, lawyers? I was like, sometimes people hire lawyers before they do managers. Now you're telling us this story right now. That's how I mean, it happened with me. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And he was like, for real? What? Yeah. They don't just close deals? I was like, <laughs> no, I was like, no they, they actually, you yeah. know, help introduce you In to the reality, rest of the team. They have all the connections, you know, anybody yeah. on the label side, they deal with them on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. You right. know, on the management side, they deal with managers all the time. So they know, they definitely know everyone playing, which is like really important. And, you know, it's no secret. A lot of the, a lot of lawyers, you know, they have an hourly rate, but then, with artists that they believe in, they'll do a percentage, which mm. they're going to be more, uh, more willing, more, more, uh, what's the word? Not willing, but more, um, I mean, I think they'll be more hungry. Yeah, they'll be more, more hungry to pick up the phone and connect you with X. Right, 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 right. You know, it's going to help you grow quicker. Totally, totally. Right. That's awesome. So, I mean, we're starting to get there, but let's go there. <laughs> the, 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 like the dream team. Like, I mean, I think I'm sure you've gone through different phases where it was like the team was just you. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I know you're working with the awesome WME agents, mm-hmm. um, have management, may have gone through other managers in the past. Like, what to you is like the essential team to have in place? Uh, 100% lawyer, obviously great manager. Shout out to Stephanie LaFera, Little Empire. Um, and a great day to day too. You know, Stephanie is, manages a bunch of big artists and having kind of a point person that understands your project and and understands like where you're coming from is really important and a great agent definitely mm-hmm. and i th- it's becoming a little less important but you know having a great label mm-hmm. i think we're at this time where it's kind of a thin line whether you know a label is really bringing that much to the table as much as they used to Mm -hmm. Um, but if you have a great label that's willing to invest and willing to like bring you big features that's Mm -hmm. also important yeah yeah for sure when it comes to like labels i mean in your experience label deals like single deals Mm -hmm. like multi-album deals um like, how do you evaluate or how, how have you kind of gone about like weighing the pros and cons as to what sort of deal to get into with the label? Well, I mean, I, kind of when I was at the transition period of being like, I don't want to produce for anyone else anymore. I want to focus on myself. Mm-hmm. That's when I started working with Big Beat. And it was like me signing with them 100% was like, gave me that possibility to say mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going to just focus on myself. Um, and they really helped me grow. Uh, but with specifically dance and I think the style of stuff I do as you're growing that like cosine is so important and it's better to kind of pick like the cosine from the label from DJs that have their own labels oh, okay. because those are the real fans that are going to come out right not every label if it doesn't have a big DJ kind of know carrying the flag for it 
they don't really have that reach right. for like true club fans. Right. You know, if you have a big record and it has the potential to break the radio, you want to be with a major because they're going to know how to push it and, and make it grow. But I think as a DJ producer, getting those kind of cosigns. So like uh, with Tiesto having musical freedom, that really helped me because it introduced me to his fans with Don Diablo and what he's been able to grow with Hexagon, his label, like that has helped me to reach other fans. So I think when, you know, once you're at a level where you're as big as them, none of that matters. But if, as you're growing, that's super important, I think. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, When it comes to like management, and I mean, have you gone through multiple managers throughout the years? Stephanie was my first ever manager. I was being helped, you know, when I was working with Cedric, his manager is really, really, really great manager. Um, he's Luke Allen. He's with Red Light. But he helped me make a few connections, which helped me early on. But right. the first manager I ever signed with was Stephanie. That's awesome. And what do you, I mean, when it comes to the qualities of a great manager that other artists should look for, or even aspiring managers should like seek to embody, like what do you feel are specifically essential? also if you have any advice on specifically managers for producers and DJs? Um, you want somebody who knows how to navigate the club world and the more, like, I don't know, I don't even know what the other world word would be, but like kind of the technology side of it too and, and the music side of it. But I think having somebody who can maneuver both is super important because mm-hmm. there's some younger managers who like know how to maneuver technology and everything that's important right now. But then when it comes to the club side, their instincts aren't there because they never kind of built like a knowledge of how to go about that side mm-hmm. of it. So I think that is really important instincts. You know, you want to trust your manager. Right. And it's hard. Like I don't, you know, I bump heads with, my manager sometimes, but in the end, I'm like, you know, she has a lot of experience doing this and, you know, it's, it's important to have those people in your corner who also, do you want somebody who's going to give their opinion? Yeah. And like, if you fight, like, you know, it's important to clash a little bit, I think. For sure. And one other question too, I mean, as a, I mean, you're an entrepreneur at the end of the day and I mean, a manager I've heard in, like in conversation um, like I was even talking with this girl that's the Diplo's manager. And she's like, if you see the artist as the visionary, you're very much like the chief operating officer, really just help, mm-hmm. helping on the execution. Right. I mean, to what extent are you responsible for creating the momentum and, and really pushing the business forward? Whereas, I mean, and just having the artist come in as support versus like, I mean, excuse me, the manager come in as support versus like the manager really helping like spearhead everything. I think you could see it right now. There's different style artists and different style managers. Mm -hmm. Like you look at somebody like Don Diablo, he has a great team of people, but he is 100% like driving everything. Mm -hmm. And like he is like, he wants to be on top of everything that's happening. Yeah. Um, I need a little bit of once in a while a nudge to like, you know, I, sometimes I get stuck on a record and it's like, just get it done. Like we need it by this <laughs> <Yeah>. day. <laughs> so like in those situations, it's really important. And, yeah. and like planning for bigger picture, I think is obviously really important to do with a manager. Yeah, for sure. But at the end of the day, as an artist, hundred percent momentum, especially is on you. Like if you make one record every six months, like you're not really going to grow. Totally. If you just know that you got to just push out content 
that's, you know, that's on you. Nobody's sitting there in your studio being like, make another record today. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's something I learned like pretty early on as a manager in my career. Like I used to manage people in college and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was like, you're Jordan, you're never, I think somebody told me you're never going to be able to make the record for them. Yeah. Right. Like they're going to have to give you something to work. Yeah. They're going to have to give you content to actually push. Cause my artists, you know, I, I was kind of like, yo, let's do this, let's do that, let's do this. But without music, I couldn't really do much. Yeah. So I think that, you know, from a manager's perspective, it was like, damn, but they're yeah. so talented. Just like give me something to push, like give yeah. me something, you know? Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's a different style of managing. You're almost yeah. like a psych- psychologist kind of yeah. having to yeah. get this stuff out of them. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, in your experience, even with the EQT artists, I mean, do you feel like it's, I mean, some artists, I mean, in my experience too, some artists are very much like on it, focused on the nitty gritty. Other artists are a little more hands off, obviously focused on what they need to focus on, but from the digital marketing standpoint, like don't really care, blah, blah, blah. Um, in, in your experience on the management side, Jordan, what's it like with some of the EQT artists? I think, I think there are artists from, from both sides of it. And I think there are pluses and minuses to both sides of it. But I think the point is for you guys to fit together. Yeah. So like for some artists, I'm a little bit more hands on and I'm like completely fine with that. And I don't fault the artist at all for that. Mm-hmm. And for some artists, they're a little bit more hands on. And that's also fine with me. It's just right. more about like what works and what fits and how do we have that synergy? Like I'm not, I'm not trying to come into a situation where an artist wants to be completely hands on and like, take over like that's not that's not my role my role is to help them do what they do best and if they need some help doing that then i'll do that too Mm. you know i don't really like dislike or like one way over the other it's just it's just sort of like all right well we gotta win so what's the best way to do it and then i figure out how they work and then i'll figure out how i work based on how they work you know and that's kind of how that's kind of how i navigate through that for sure for sure yeah um all right so the cedric dervey remix summertime sadness um, massive hit, Grammy award winning. Can you talk about your journey and involvement in the record and what it was like being a part of this smash hit? I know it's something tons of artists are like dying to get involved with. Um, well, I met Cedric. Um, I think the first record we ever did together was a song called Molly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the time I was just kind of a studio, obviously I was DJing, but I was more kind of looking at, I was like, just studio producer and that that was it. And I learned a lot from the way he ran his brand and everything. Um, and his ideas and the way he approaches the music was was something that I took a lot from. Um, and yeah, we did that remix. Um, you know, we produced it together uh, and kind of grew into a kind of a club hit at first and then Interscope decided they were going to push it to radio and then it grew into this massive thing. So it was crazy to be kind of involved, but on the outside of it. Um, and it was one of those moments where I felt like I was a part of it, but obviously my name wasn't on it. So right. it kind of made me also, you know, kind of reevaluate what I wanted to do in my life, you know, right. do I want to be the studio guy or, you know, it was my goal. My kind of whole goal in life was, or not my goal, but my dream. Like at my elementary school yearbook, they said, what do you want to be? And I said, I want to be a TJ. Like I literally put that in That's fucking amazing. eighth grade. Hell yeah. That's um, sick, yeah. And uh, so it definitely was one of those moments in my life where I was really appreciative to be in it. 
I got my own Grammy. Um, but at the same time, it was it's like, in your crib. Is the Grammy in your crib? Yeah, that's dope. <laughs> you go yeah. home, see a Grammy every day. That's <laughs> fucking sick. <laughs> but yeah, it, it prompted some deep self reflection. Yeah, definitely. You know, and it kind of put me on the path to just want to focus that energy on myself because whatever I was doing, I just I've always approached music with the passion of like wanting to make the best thing possible. Mm-hmm. I think right. some guys who kind of produce for other people just look at it as like a paycheck, which, you know, that's what it is too. But like, I was like, fucking, you know, what, just kind of wanting to make the best thing possible. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and I think you lose focus if you would try it. You're doing that stuff and then you want to focus on your own artist career. You, you're not as driven. So I think just putting all of that aside which was kind of that moment for me and then focusing on myself. And then this year I was actually nominated for yeah, Remix under huge. my own name. So lit, dude. Yeah. it was awesome to kind of come back full circle and, and, and be there with and recognized for something that I remixed. Which mm-hmm. is cool. Yeah. That's amazing, man. Um, super cool. When it comes to uh, kind of touring, I think, is it, does it wear you down? Um, I feel like, you know, when you kind of get this, you know, expression, if somebody doesn't know how to swim, you just kind of throw them in. And that first tour I did with Cascade was just like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> cause I, you know, I like to drink and I'm facing that. That was my first tour ever. I'd have a couple of drinks before or whatever. And Cascade doesn't drink. So he was just on point every day, but there were like times where we do, you know, a, a big show, you know, five, eight, 10,000 people. And then an after party, you get back to the hotel at like 4 a.m. And you're like, okay, pickups in two hours. Oh God. So <laughs> that kind of was almost like a boot camp for me. Right. Know? So I think I used to complain about being tired. Now it's just like, I'm not, I don't really get tired, you mm-hmm. know? And the first, another moment was the first time I flew to Asia for a tour and the way home, it took me 36 hours to get home. And it like, like mid, I think I had middle seat for like a 10 hour flight. Oh, and I remember sleeping, you wake up (laughs) and you still, you still got like five hours left. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember like after that trip, I was like, if I fly to Europe or LA and it's six hours, I'm like, it's nothing. It's like being on like, it feels like an hour flight. So I think those kind of like shock moments have like helped me along with the touring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 36 hours too just being out of commission for 36 hours in in general is like intense super intense do you enjoy getting to travel i mean do you feel like that's definitely one of the dope perks of the the gig definitely but i mean what a lot of people don't realize is they're like oh how was the city i'm like i landed at like (laughs) 2 p.m i hadn't slept so I, I think, <laughs> yeah, it's like, what it was great, see? bro. <laughs> yeah, my hotel room was really nice. But I think now further, like, especially in like the last year, it's like, I'm getting a chance to go back to cities. And if, you know, I've always made it a point to want to experience the city, want to experience the food. And now I think it's like, I'll push myself. If I'm a little tired. I'll be like, let me go out, see the city. And, you know, experience some kind of food that I wouldn't normally eat, mm-hmm. then I'll get some rest. You know? right, so right, it's, right. it's important. Like you're, you're traveling to the, these amazing places and, and you should experience the culture. 
Totally. Yeah. I went to Chicago in February. I landed at like 7 p.m. and left the next morning at 10 a.m. And I left Chicago like sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was, I was like, damn, mm-hmm. I like yeah. did not get to see Chicago. And I love Chicago. Yeah. So I can't imagine if it was a, mm-hmm. a city abroad where it was like, oh, man, I've never been to this city. Yeah. But like I can't see any of it. Like yeah. I just, it's almost like looking at it from the outside in almost. Yeah, you just go sure. to your hotel, perform, and you're gone. And you're like, God damn, I didn't get to see anything. Yeah. So. Totally. Yeah. So how has your like grind changed as a as a DJ and how has you know the I guess how has the routine changed? You said before you used to have a couple of drinks, get back at four AM. Like how are you how are you like weathering the storm now? Uh I'm lucky I have a really great girlfriend who kind of keeps me balanced. Um, you know. So there's like a somewhat of a checks and balances, I think. Like I I think there was a little while where I was getting really crazy. Like I don't do any drugs, but I drink a lot mm-hmm. so kind of like last april i got really really sick and like i really scared myself um and it was i think that was the moment i was like i need to chill like um and it's you know i'm, I'm my family's from spain like drinking is, is in our culture right so it's just about finding a balance and being kind of a little more aware of like not getting too fucked up i think is really important especially when you you're traveling four or five days in a week, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um, definitely don't need you to get into specific numbers, but I've, I mean, DJing versus production when it comes to like your business, I mean, what accounts for the majority of the revenue? DJing. Like yeah. 98% <laughs> is the DJing, yeah. 100%. I think it's interesting too, because even for us, I mean, working with artists, I mean, I feel like... Uh, mediocre or like a middle level like house dj tech house dj will be generating so much more revenue than like a mediocre middle level like rapper or singer just because the fact that like the the way the structure is set up is it's so much more touring show heavy in the the electronic dance world 100 i mean i've had i mean also i guess when i started if you count you know the advance i got for signing with big beat atlantic Mm -hmm. you know that really let me like again like focus on what I was doing but then you have to repay that advance so um, <laughs> yeah it was it's definitely been the DJing you know I, I look at music I think off this last EP I did with Hexagon I've gotten something you know decent for you know royalties and everything but it's it's really just marketing and promotion for the DJ you right, know people right. hear your music they want to connect to the music and then they want to connect with you as an artist. Right. Um, and then they want to come to your show. So yeah. I look at it more, if there was a way to like, just give it away for free, I would, you know, yeah, that yeah. made sense. But yeah. For sure. I, mean, I think that's how it is in a lot of fields too. Yeah. I mean, I just had a touring call today and the main thing was when is the album coming yeah. out? Because we want an album going into touring. Yeah. Right. It wasn't like, for the tour, we need an album to promote. Mm-hmm. It was like, we want the album to help with ticket sales. For so sure. I think, I think that makes complete sense. I think in electronic, it's kind of like that on steroids. Mm-hmm. It's like, yo, what, it, I mean, you guys, in terms of, I mean, you're, you're DJing, right? So like you're curating music and your music also has to be a part of that. And mm-hmm. that drives ticket sales. But in every, in every genre, it's like, when is the album coming? Yeah. Let's put a tour on the back of the album. You yeah. Know? I mean, that's, that's cycles. That's, yeah. I mean, that's the way it works. It changed though. It didn't always used to be like that from my understanding. You know, I'm pretty young, but the album, the, the tour used to be to promote the album. Yeah. It's like, let's put out the album and then use a tour to promote the album. 
Now it's like the exact opposite. Yeah, it's like true. we need the album so people have eyes, so we got eyes on us, so then we can put a tour and then sell yeah. out all the dates. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then last year, at the top of last year, or right before, wasn't twenty the end of twenty seventeen, I put out a single on Hexagon, Don's label. And then at the top of this past year, I put out put out an EP and I did a show in Tokyo. And a third of the crowd had Hexagon, his label, merch on. Damn. You know, and it's the direct result of the mu- like putting that music out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Um, that's awesome. Can you talk a little bit about night service only? Yeah. I mean, I know there's, uh, I think you have a lot of different ambitions there, but like, what is it now? What do you want it to become? So it started out as being just a record label and like kind of the ethos of it is night service only. It's just club music. You know, I don't want to pump anything that's commercial or cheesy through it. I just want to make cool club records. Uh, And I kind of put the idea together like at least a year and a half ago, maybe more. Um, And then I kind of just sat on it for a little bit. And then I felt like, you know what, I think it's time to kind of revisit this and, and try to set it up and launch it. So... On the label side, we've been talking to different partners and stuff for distribution and everything. And then, you know, Stephanie, my manager, we've been talking about doing a radio show. And I'm like, a radio show is a lot of work. Um, but, you know, we have some great friends at Sirius XM. She reached out to them. And then Diplo's team also got involved and said they'd give me my own radio show on Diplo's Revolution. Shout out Diplo. Yeah, casual, casual. <laughs> Diplo's team then got involved, and you know, <laughs> well, he's super been super supportive, man. He's, yeah, he's the man. Um, so it, right now, the way it kind of rolled out is is a radio show first, but in reality, it was supposed to be uh, the label first. Um, and the idea is to grow it to now launching the label, um, and then start developing artists. Mm-hmm. And at first, it's I kind of want to build the profile of it through my own club stuff. And then once people get an idea of what the sound is, like what I'm going for, start signing stuff that fits the vibe. And then ultimately do parties and stages, hopefully down the road. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I mean, do you feel like it's getting competitive when it comes to like launching a label? Just I feel like that lots of different artists are everyone doing is doing it now. Yeah. I think people have realized like, what's the difference? Like, most record labels are transparent. Like they don't really have a built-in fan base. Mm-hmm. The ones that do are the ones that are spearheaded by artists. So if you can kind of get the backing of these transparent labels, but then just launch your own branding and build your own record label, then why not? Mm-hmm. I think I'm when I kind of had this idea, I didn't realize how many people were kind of right. doing it too. Right. Um but it doesn't really matter. I think like once it gets to Spotify, label is kind of insignificant, but it's everything outside of it. So you can mm-hmm. really build a brand. You know, I want to yeah. make it like make clothing that like it's not like, oh, that's Sid's T-shirt. It's more like, oh, that's a cool brand. Right. right. Like I want to buy that. I don't know anything about the music, but it's cool. I want to wear that totally. kind of. And I just want to take things there. But yeah. It's it's crazy. Even in the last six months, so many like artist driven labels have popped up. For sure. 
Well, you can sure. make money off of off of records. Again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I also what I find really fascinating too is when you look at. Um, I think 88 Rising is an interesting example. So they have like Rich Brian now, Rich Chega used to be. Um, but they built up tons of content across their YouTube channel. Their YouTube channel is thriving. They have a massive fan base across all their channels. And then by creating this unique media property, uh, it just creates tons of distribution for the actual artists. Um, and it can really help like break artists, which is, is massive. I mean, I think you even see, um, like lyrical lemonade, the yeah. YouTube, the hip hop YouTube channel and just Cole Bennett music videographer. Um, like they own the attention. They own the, they have leverage. They have reached to fans. And then all these labels are coming to those guys trying to figure out like, how can we pay? Let's do a joint venture. And then that's why you're seeing all these different labels doing ton, like joint ventures left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think to me, what I still want to see more of is labels acting more as like media companies. I think like Fool's Gold is doing some interesting stuff where they're creating like little vlogs and like content chronicling some of the artists on their roster. But I think like really starting to just create a massive community around the the, the brand itself. Mm-hmm. It, it's just such a valuable asset. I think you can do that with your radio show. Like it's kind of like Selection. Selection kind of does that. They have a Selection radio service, but they also have this brand. They have this awesome logo that people like yeah. wearing on their shirts and totally. everything. Like what you, what you were just explaining is kind of like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and I think that model is also, it, it allows people to kind of join your community, not just like listen to your music. Yeah, totally. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's an extension of you as an artist. These little pieces that kind of are bigger than you in a way. Like, I think that's super important. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How is the radio show? Uh, like, I mean, it's syndicated. It's what's that serious? Yeah. Um, I mean, have you felt like a lift? Like, yeah, I, I mean, it, definitely. it gets a lot of good reach. And, yeah. And every week you get, you know, I mean, they gave me an incredible time, which <laughs> helps. So I'm on that uh, every Tuesday. It's 5 p.m. on the West Coast, 8 p.m. on the East Coast. So oh, everyone in L.A. is driving. Yeah, <laughs> they got no no other choice but to listen to. So. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's been awesome. And they're driving until eight PM, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's dope, man. Yeah, I mean, I think radio. Do you feel like radio has lost a lot of its uh, its power? No, I think I don't think so, man. I, there's still a lot of older cars on the road. You're gonna tune in. When I had a car. I always, I sold my car. I just take the train everywhere now because yeah, yeah, yeah. alternate side parking in Brooklyn is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <that's> so <laughs> When I had a car, I would always listen to FM, you know, and I think it hurt a little bit because um, people want to listen to their own stuff on Spotify. But I still think like you're in the car nine times out of 10, you're tuning through the FM stations when you get in. And I still think it's really influential and, Sirius XM being the same way, you know, most mm-hmm. cars now have Sirius XM. So I still think it's really, really powerful to discover and to listen to new music. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. You want to get in these hot takes, man? Yeah. So we got, we got a segment called hot takes. Nice. Uh, it's things that, that we hear, not necessarily things that we believe, but. About so, me or about. No, but, okay. <laughs> Stadium, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I didn't do any of it. I swear. <laughs> because you wasn't paying child support. <laughs> 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 <laugh
<laughs> nah, nah. In all honesty, it's, it's shit. We we we've heard that uh-huh. we'll try to get you get you to say get you to say some stuff. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? All right. So. Number one, DJs just press buttons and dance. Uh, a lot do. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, a lot don't even have That's a hot take for us. Yeah. A lot don't mix like uh, there's you see them, but and I dude, it's at least put like I hate the sync button. Even if it's lit up, I hate seeing it lit up. I'm like I don't want everyone anyone to think that I'm using the sync button. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. It's not. I mean, it's not hard. You just fucking you match the tempo mm-hmm. at least. Do so that. the sync button it just makes it so each song mat beat matches uh, auto, auto automatically. Sinks. Yeah. So like, it's not. You're just standing up there, man. Like unclick that and just <laughs> beat match it yourself. Yeah. At least, come on. So just to dive deeper there, I mean, what are some of the other skills that you think like separate like the good from the great or the mediocre from great DJs? Uh, enter- programming energy mm-hmm. is like the key. I have a, a good friend of mine. His name's Madness. He's literally probably the best DJ. He shits on everyone DJ wise. <laughs> He's the resident at Live in Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, and he taught me a lot about kind of programming sets to create energy so mm-hmm. you get a lot of these djs who just come in and just like it's just like a 10 out of 10 energy wise for like an hour and a half and you're just like whoa like what just happened right. and i think it's like knowing knowing your music and knowing kind of which records are like those transition energy records is right. like what makes a great dj totally yeah how much of it is like curating music do you think for you like how much of it is like I want to see how the audience reacts to this song because I kind of fuck with it. Um, it's definitely. I feel like I kind of have two modes. One where like I really want to play really housey stuff. So I'll start sets right now and I'll be like, I don't care. Like I'm gonna play housey for at least a little bit because then it gives me some place to build from. Regardless, right. if I play that style and they're reacting, then I'm like, I'm gonna stick to this a little longer. So for me, it's kind of just those two modes and then obviously like definitely i mean you're reading the crowd you're trying to figure out what's going to work what's not going to work and you don't know that until you're playing so, right and what, when diving deeper into reading the crowd i mean you're just like paying attention to like what's getting them going yeah. like I mean, who's making out i mean, I mean okay yeah, like, oh shit she's twerking out of the wall more of this <laughs> yeah you can definitely see like yeah. people are jumping and hands are in the air versus People not moving, right? And staring at you. <laughs> Is it ever I, that? horror stories as a DJ? Yeah, Has that I've happened? Never had that too many. Okay, good, good. I did do this one record recently that I think is sick, and it's with this Brazilian producer. And, and it shit flopped on the dance floor. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's honestly, it's this. What's the style of music? Funk. In Brazil, yeah, ballet funk. Where it's like like rap. Maybe it's not funk. It's like no, it's not funk. It's um. It's like the Brazilian rap. Okay. And it's, they sample this girl, this girl moaning through like the whole record. And <laughs> it was this Brazilian kid's idea. It's all his fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It wasn't my idea for the record. <laughs> it's just moaning like every four beats. And it's sick. It's really dope. But I never played it before. Yeah. And like that was a record. I was like, that did not work. You know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, like you, I think there's like a universal language, the music where you're like, this is going to work no matter where in the world you are. This might work better in this city mm-hmm. or like this city is kind of known to know this style of music more. But, you know, you kind of 
it's either that for sure on. for sure so cities have templates now oh, i think they always have like right san francisco is like have been cultured in house music for decades like mm. they are the most like accepting musically like they want you to like do something different at the last um, I got was lucky enough to kind of start DJing this club called Halcyon in San Francisco. And uh, the f- first time I played there, you know, you listen to my music and there's like, it's, you know, some of it is a little bigger than other stuff. So when I w- went in there, they thought I was going to play like kind of a bigger set. And I was like, no, I want to play an underground set. And I don't think I played a single one of my records and people reacted. They're like, this was awesome. I didn't get anybody like, why don't you play your own music? Maybe I should have played a little bit of my music, yeah, yeah. but it just was like one of those cities, you know, that you can go in and do that. You can't do that in like Miami or, you know, I think certain cities are known. You kind of go into it having an idea of like what will work or what's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Just to dive, I mean, into the genre conversation, like, what do you see happening when it comes to, like, genre lines and boundaries? I know you were just talking about playing a little house and, like, mm. EDM and hip hop. I mean, generally speaking, Def- what are you I seeing mean, happen when it comes to genres? Um, there's no surprise, like, what Chris Lake and Fisher have kind of helped do is bridge that gap between those fans who were, like, EDM fans yeah, and kind of those fans who were a little more underground. I yeah. think, you know, after this boom of electronic music that just happened, you know, a few years ago, people kind of got bored of that sound and wanted to discover something a little cooler. Um, right. So we've definitely started diving into more house, more tech house. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the Dirty Bird brand is so big because... You know, they, it's weird. It's a little weird, but it's still accessible and it's still interesting all the time. Like there's always something happening in those records. So they kind of, those fans who wanted something cooler latched onto that. Mm -hmm. And I think the same thing has kind of happened with the Chris Lake Fisher sound. It's like the underground guys respect it. The fans of like that style. And then the EDM fans think it's cool. So I think we're moving towards more underground yeah, stuff, you know. For sure. It's interesting, too, because working with a lot of different, like, house acts, it's almost like there's, like, a stigma for, like, EDM. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I remember early on when I was, like, learning about the the difference, I, was, I like, mentioned, like, he's, we could make help him become, like, one of the biggest EDM acts. They're like, no. <laughs> like, that's not what we want. <laughs> I mean, and it's interesting to see, but I think it's cool to hear about your perspective as far as the evolution there. Yeah, and I think that's what I've always tried to do was kind of bridge that gap. And I think my music kind of did it, but, um, you know, now it's like, um, I I can't explain it, but like, you know, I was making these house style records, but with bigger buildups and stuff. And I think that's like where things kind of are right now. People want that tension and that energy, for sure. but then to not be like EDM. You know, yeah, it was right. interesting too because I was also this was in a conversation with um, the same conversation with Diplo's manager, but she said that I was I was I made the point that ED, house a lot of house artists you tend to have more longevity from an age perspective. Oh, you yeah, see yeah. a lot of like older house DJs than like a ED like EDM yeah. if you will DJ. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, it's, I, I think what ends up happening is that like 
when you're young, 18, 19, like going trap, dubstep, like headbanging yeah. like crazy, like you you have that level of energy. Yeah. But then as you get older, it's a little bit more refined and mm-hmm. you want it. I mean, house just gives you that like vibe of your flow. Yeah, right. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting too. Also, I always I say EDM now. I always hated saying EDM, but yeah. it's like obviously EDM is the genre in general, but yeah. it's kind of been coined as like that big room like sound, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. That's how I feel. Yeah. Just, totally. to cl- just to clarify. Yeah, yeah, yeah so for like, sure. For not, the record. It's not EDM. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's not. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Hot take number two. All right. Hot take number two. Damn, we got a long way to go. Yeah. <laughs> He's all going to cut that short. We got 10 <laughs> uh, DJs just follow trends and don't help break artists. Uh, some yes, some no. I think that's a good question. Um, I think some guys are, it's really obvious that they follow trends, like the guys who jump from making that, like, big room progressive sound that just magically started making future bass yeah. after it was successful. Like <laughs> I was like, this is going to die. Please, please. The guys I respect do not like, do not do that. Right. I think I made it. I tweeted something one time that said every time, you know, and I said EDM, but I was like, every time one of those guys puts out a future bass record, a cat, a kitten dies. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry kittens but it's <laughs> a lot of kittens done huh? yeah i mean you got to evolve as an artist but you can do it in a way that's like your own you know right. i think yes like people's taste there's a difference between evolving as an artist and just saying you evolved as an artist just because like there's another hot genre trend out there mm. like if that makes sense like porter robinson that guy kind of did something so left and it worked, you know, he wasn't really following any trends. Right. And, you know, but he created like, like a real sound. Yeah. Awesome, right. man. So I guess one last question um, to wrap it up. As you've grown in your career, how has your approach to six, like succeeding as a producer DJ changed? Like, what are you focusing on now versus what you used to focus on and, and what's important? Um, just... Not forgetting that I make that like when I'm in the studio, just making stuff for fun. Like mm-hmm. so, that's always been there. But I think there's a more emphasis emphasis on consistency mm-hmm. and just making sure. You know, I think that's what's been the main transition. I think maybe a few years ago, records had more of a longevity as opposed to today, where it's just like people people forget really fast. So right. consistency is key, mm-hmm. um, and you're only as relevant as your last what record whenever that was so it's just like keeping a consistency in the quality but also consistency in time of like just pumping stuff out totally totally. and being less precious about Mm -hmm. music too Mm -hmm. i think is something really important like you never know what's going to work first and of course something that's not going to work so don't like stress about it just put if you believe in it just put it out that's something i'm trying to like remember yeah i've seen people crippled by that where like they'll hold they'll hold music for years, mm-hmm. and their friends are releasing stuff, and they'll be like, "Oh, that's trash." But people will like it, you know, just because they decided to take risks. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Now, don't focus on the stats. Like, 
I don't, I really don't even look at the numbers anymore. Like mm-hmm. if, if I see something that has like a million streams, it's like, yeah, I got a million on this one or whatever, right. but it's not, I'm not checking it every You're not refreshing day, it every, like, every five minutes. Totally. Yeah. totally. Awesome, bro. Well, Carlos, man, thank you so much. Thank you guys. Drop some fun. major keys, man. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> no, no, this is fantastic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's all a blur. All right. Well, thank you guys. We out. It's too much brandy. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. So Sid is a, a very clearly a, a, a very smart how he how he goes about his career, right? Like he's been doing it for like a really long time. So, um, you know, hearing about how it's changed from back then when he used to actually have to just use his brother's shit to now when it's a lot easier to to be a DJ and producer, but the field is a little bit more a little bit busier and how he kind of sticks through it. Um, that was super super dope to hear. Yeah, I also really loved how he got. How that moment when he helped produce the Grammy-winning record, uh, Cedric Gervais, Summertime Sadness, how that really like prompted some like deep self-reflection right. and really helped him. I mean, almost as a turning point in his career, not only from winning the award, but just as far as like where he was putting his focus and what he valued and really wanted to focus on on himself as an artist and his name, his brand. Um, super incredible. Really excited to see what he comes up with. Really excited about everything that's cooking up with Night Service Only and, and how he will continue to build that into a community and brand. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So as always, guys, if you like the podcast, let us know. Please leave reviews. Uh, helps us understand what to do more of, what to do less of. And then hit us up on at Music Business Podcast on Instagram. Um, love hearing from you guys, what you like, um, any questions you want us to answer, any types of guests. Uh, really appreciate all the support so far. Be back next week. All right, guys. Thank you. Peace. See ya.